0: In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, uh, I would love for you to open up to 1 Timothy 1. First Timothy 1, we'll be starting there in verse 12. And the reason I want you to turn there is because you've heard a lot of testimonies this morning, and I want you to hear one more, one more testimony. And this testimony is of the Apostle Paul and who he was, what God had done in his life, And how his life has been transformed ever since. And the hopes of this sermon is it would give you yourself a template for sharing an effective testimony. That as you have received the grace of Christ in your life, if you're saved in here, you could see from the text that there is a way that God desires us to share about the salvation that he has given us. And so as you flip there to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17, what you're first going to need to recognize is that we got to get real with where we were. we got to get real with where we were. And you see the Apostle Paul doing that. You saw everyone in the baptistry do that this morning. And you see Paul doing that, starting there in verse 13. If you're there, look at verse 13 with me. And Paul, really, as he's talking to his young protege, Timothy, he's writing this letter to him, and he's talking to him as Paul is getting close to his deathbed. He's writing up and codifying some really, really important words to young Timothy to spur him on and and to kind of give him that leap into doing ministry without Paul by his side. Uh, And he says, Christ is using me. Christ is appointing me to his service. In verse 13, Paul helps us understand what it means to get real with where you were. And he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, And an insolent opponent, you don't use the word insolent much, but what it means is violent. We don't have to go too far in the book of Acts to recognize that that is exactly how Paul was described, not only by him, but by many other people who knew the testimony of Paul. Paul himself, in the book of Acts and elsewhere, talk about just how merciless he was to Christians, how he was zealous to persecute the Christians because he thought that they were misrepresenting the monotheistic understanding of God, the God of the Jews. And so Paul actually says that I used to go house to house, town from town, uh, officially to go and take Christians and imprison them and persecute them. And then he counts this one interesting fact. He says, I actually held the clothes, and this is Paul himself, I held the clothes of Stephen as he was being stoned to death for the gospel in which now I am enlisted to serve through. And he says, that was me. I was an enemy of God. I am a sinner. And then he he keeps going. Look at verse 15. He's like, here's a saying that's trustworthy. I love this. You know, Paul being the, the wise older man that he was, wants to leave Timothy with some words of wisdom. And he says, here's a trustworthy saying, one you need to put in your pocket, one that'll be true and valid at all times and all places. And he says, here's the trustworthy saying, and it's deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, do you see that? Paul's talking about his testimony. And central to this text is this fact that your testimony, if you want to have an effective testimony, you cannot leave this out of your testimony. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Literally, Matthew chapter 1, it tells you that. Mary, Joseph, take this baby and you will name him? For he will save his people from their sins. It's his name. It's not only his name, it's his mission. And Paul remembers that right in the middle of his testimony. And you ought to remember it well in your testimony. Jesus came to save sinners. And this is what Paul says. Of whom I am the foremost. You want a you testimony that's effective? you got to help people recognize that you knew the cost of sin. That you knew that you yourself were a sinner. You can... Sum it up that way in point number one in your outline. You need to prove you knew the cost of sin. Prove you knew the cost of sin. If you want to share your testimony in an effective way, you need the Apostle Paul to say, I am the foremost of sinners. Now, you heard a lot of the the insolent, violent realities of Paul's life, but we all, if we're just being honest, know that when it comes to the laundry list of the worst, most evil people in the history of the world, Paul doesn't make the top hundred. He don't make the top 200. There were people who persecuted Christians way worse. Nero, 70 A.D., Titus, his son, the general that ransacked Jerusalem, right? We have all these people, and that's just just the beginning of the Roman persecution, even in that day. We recognize that even Paul knows, objectionally, like, it's an objective fact that I know that it's not that my sins out-tally the other person's sins. It's recognizing the culpability Ontologically, of my existence, I am the worst sinner. And if you can't understand that about your own life, you're going to have a hard time understanding the need for the grace of God. You can look in your own life, and you can say, there's no one caused you more problems, more grief, more pain than yourself. You have sinned against yourself far greater than anyone's ever sinned against you. And so with that, even all of that, you should be able to look at yourself and say, Of sinners for whom I am the worst. You, like Paul, should understand this is a trustworthy saying in your own life, that you are the foremost of sinners. And you should be able to tell people that you are a sinner and you are the worst of them all when it comes to you know your heart, you know the wickedness of your own heart. Those things should be true in our testimonies. Why why so? Why so? What what do you mean you have to know you're a sinner? Uh, Do you recognize that even in our justice system, for a convicted felon to have any chance at receiving parole, one of the preconditions to receiving parole is remorse and owning up to the crime. Like, if you will not own up to the crime and show remorse for the sin, you do not get past prequalifications to be paroled. Why? Because it's common sense to know in order to know you're wrong, you have to have remorse and understanding of what you did and why it's a problem. In the same way, no one can say that they know Jesus who don't first know that they are a grievous sinner who needs the grace of Jesus Christ and who should be able to articulate it in a way that is intelligible and understanding. Now that it's got to be the most intellectual understanding. Not that it's got to be the most, uh, just the most precious, wonderful, curated words of all the things that you've ever done. As a matter of fact, I encourage you, don't do that. You don't need to be spending time celebrating your sinful past. That's one of the problems that many people have when it comes to their testimony, is they spend more time time making it about them, their sin, their badness, and not about the goodness of Jesus Christ. And which brings me, if you look at the next point, uh, as Paul talks about himself and his sinful past, he doesn't spend a lot of time on it, if you notice. A couple spots there. But he spends a lot of time on the mercy and grace of God. And you can jot it down this way in point number two. You need to, like Paul, emphasize Christ's work on your behalf. If you want an effective testimony, you need to spend most of the time in your testimony emphasizing the work of Christ on your behalf. I hope that as you hear these testimonies, which you heard over and over again, Christ saved me, who he is, what he has done on my behalf. He he, He was my substitute. He absorbed the wrath of God in my place. It was the work of Christ. It was who he was. What he did had nothing to do with me. He even produced the repentance and faith that made it necessary for me. The only thing I added to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary for salvation to be needed in my life. We have to, like Paul, focus on who Jesus is. And that's what he does. Look at verse 14 there in 1 Timothy. He says, the grace, he's like, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent opponent. But he had mercy on me. I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. I didn't believe and the grace of our Lord overflowed. Uh, in literature, overflowed is what you would know as a ha- hapax legomenon, okay, which if you don't know what that means, it simply means this. You can't find that word anywhere else. In the whole Bible, this word's not used anywhere else. Paul's over here making up words to describe to you how amazing the grace and wonder of God is. He's putting words together that we don't use in language and even in the Greek to show you, I can't describe to you the grace and mercy of God in words that we use every day, so I'm going to use a hapax legomenon. It was just a... That's how it was. Right? That's what Paul is saying. It was just a superabounding, It's actually, if you'd interpret that word in the English literally, he says the grace of the Lord superabounded. It's like that sounds like a third grader made that up. But that's how you have to explain the grace of God. It's just super there, everywhere, super abundant. And that's literally what it means. The grace of our Lord superabounded in me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You know who gave me the faith to believe? Jesus. You know whose love poured, was poured out on me and is now flowing through me? Jesus. You want to know how I'm saved? You know who took the scales off of my eyes? Literally, Jesus on the road to Damascus. What did I do? I was, I was doing nothing. I was literally going in the opposite direction of God, and he stopped me and brought me to my knees and said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you living in sin? You're going to turn from your sin, and I'm going to turn you from it, and I'm now you're going to be my servant who's going to take the gospel to the world. That's salvation. That's how salvation works. That's how little you have to do with your salvation. It's a complete surrender on the knees because God has come into your life and completely removed any self-righteousness and replaced that With repentance and faith leading to salvation. That's when we got to emphasize that, right? We got to emphasize Christ's work. It's all about Him, which is what Paul continues to do in verse 16. He says this Of course, I was the foremost of sinners, but I received mercy for this reason, right? Don't stop there, but it is true that I received mercy. But why? Keep reading. That in me, as the worst sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. You want to know something? You want to know why at your salvation you're still here and he didn't snap you up right now? Because he desires that through you he would display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. You have a testimony and it's meant to be on display for everyone to see that when they look at you, they say, oh, I get it now, the grace of the Lord, because that person right there is a wretch. That pastor up there, can you believe God's using him to do anything? Yes, yes. I I want to be an example of how patient macrothamia is, that Greek word, just the the long-noseness of God. Like, he's got a really long nose, right? An offense in our culture, but that means he's got a long temper, I mean, if you, know, if you light the fuse in God's anger, it's really long. It's going to take a long time for it to blow up because God's patient, not wishing any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And that's what Paul says. I want to be that example. That when people look at me, I'm an example for those who were to believe. I love this. He's saying, listen, I'm an example for those who are to believe. That means this I know that if I'm sharing my testimony and the gospel's going off, people are going to believe because God is going to bring people to salvation because this testimony is true, the gospel is true, and I know if I'm faithful to be the evidence of salvation, God is going to use it. We need to emphasize Christ's work. It's about him. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever, ever. Amen. In verse 17. If you're wondering who this testimony is about, you don't have to read any further than verse 17. Paul's saying, this isn't about me. This is about the king of the ages, the immortal God, the invisible God, the only God, incarnate in Christ Jesus. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to emphasize that. I mean, that's an emphasis, isn't it? Like that's a literary way to put an exclamation mark on the end of that and saying that's who it's about, not me. Thirdly, the last part of effective testimony, there needs to be an empirical transformation. You heard that up here a lot, didn't you? Uh, an empirical transformation. There needs to be something that as people are looking at your life, they're saying there is an outward reality of the inward transformation. The Bible calls that fruit. A lot of people like to use the, uh, the text in John 15. I thought we were just supposed to abide in Christ. I just It's not about doing, it's about being. It's like, have you read the rest of John 15? It says, abide in me that you may bear much fruit. Okay, so like to, to say I'm abiding in Christ, and you even heard it in First John in one of the testimonies this morning. Like, how do I know That I'm saved because he is causing you to walk in obedience. That he is causing you to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to lead you in obedience to God, which is going to be in a fruitful life. Does it mean a sinless life? No, but it means a fruitful life. And what we can look at when we understand that point number three, just put it on your your, your outline and then we'll look at it. You need to share what God is doing in your life now. There needs to be fruit. There needs to be an empirical transformation of what God has done. And the, the reason that is, and we'll see it here even in the text It's simply this, God is not such a dastardly, evil God that he would say he would save you through the power of Jesus Christ and fill you with the Holy Spirit and then leave you wallowing in your sin. It's not the God of the Bible. We have a holy, just God who loves us and wants to transform us from one degree of glory in the context sanctification, from one degree of glory to the other. He wants to sanctify you. He wants to make sure that today you're different than you were yesterday. And not just because you're getting older, not just because you're getting more mature and you're not making dumb decisions. Because you are, have an appetite for God. You grow in your hunger for the Lord. You grow in your desire to see God's kingdom come. You de- desire uh, greater to be in community with one another. And there's a fruit that is evidence. And it's an empirical transformation. It's not our fruit that saves, but it's the fruit that's evidence of salvation. You see this even with Paul, who says in verse 12, I think Jesus who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful... And appointed me to his service. He didn't judge me faithful that I did good enough and he thought I was good. No, he he made me faithful. That's what that means. He made me faithful. I didn't do anything to be made faithful. He did it. And as he made me faithful, as he made me saved, you understand, he appointed me to his service. That I once was an opponent and now I'm a proponent. I was running away from God. Now in everything in my life, I'm running to God. And you need fruit of the life of Paul? Just read the epistles in the New Testament. Crazy man out for, the, out for the death of the Christians, and then he goes into all the world and dies. At the end of his life, murdered, church history says, because he wanted to see people saved. He even says to his own brothers and sisters, the Jews, he said, I would count myself accursed, condemned into hell if my brothers could come to Christ. One of my brothers come to Christ. I will spend eternity in judgment so they won't have to. There's some fruit. Got some fruit I ain't ready to bear right now. It shows you his change, the change in his life. And if you, you want a template for sharing an effective testimony, or do you want to make sure you have a testimony, you need to make sure that you have some empirical transformation. There's, you can share what God is doing in your life now. Because if not, then there is really no... I mean, what is the proof of a genuine salvation? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, the old oldest, has the oldest passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right, That there was an old gone. And behold, the new has come. I mean, even that just tells you there was a me that is no longer me. And the me that I am now is The me. I'm in Christ Jesus. Glory to Him. The God of the ages, immortal, invisible, and the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.